Always honest, often blunt, and never afraid, this is the narrative. I'm Center for Christian Virtue President Aaron Baer. Uh, happy to be with you uh, this week. Actually, flying solo uh, today, my, my good friend uh, David Mahan. Uh, pray for him. And actually, by the time you hear this, uh, some of you he might have already uh, been have already taught, but he is uh, going to be preaching this Sunday uh, at Crossroads Church in Cincinnati, one of the largest churches in the country, largest ter- church uh, in the state. So David uh, is is prepping for that and and looking forward to to seeing him preach there. I'm sure you know Crossroads is all over online. You can catch his his message uh, anywhere. Bum not to have him for this one because this is uh, the, the, what we're talking about on this volume is something that. I know it was very near and dear to his heart, and but something that we have talked a lot about in uh, in previous volumes. Uh, but we really wanted to dive deeper uh, into this uh, conversation today, uh, and that's uh, that's the impact of uh, on race and and the family, uh, and and how those those two issues interact. And and as as we get into that discussion in a little bit with uh, Pastor David Forbes, uh, based here in Columbus at the Columbus uh, Christian Center. Um, you know, we, we, we'll, we'll see how, about how a lot of the things uh, that are often in the media, a lot of the narrative uh, around race in America today um, actually has more to do with family breakdown, family struggle uh, than it does with, with, with race. Uh, and so uh, I, I've, we, we just had a great conversation, really looking forward to, to you hearing that. Um, but before we, uh, we get into that, I want to just talk about some of the, the big stories of the day. Uh, and and big topics that are are are, are raging in America today. You know, I, I think one of the the biggest one one of the biggest stories. Uh, th- this will probably go down as one of the biggest stories of the year. Um, no matter what ultimately happens with it, it it, it is a, a historic uh, situation right now uh, going on in Cuba, uh, where you have uh, you have the Cuban people rising up uh, and opposing the oppressive communist regime uh, in Cuba right now. Uh, and and yeah, again, I'm not going to get into the geopolitical uh, aspects of this. Uh, there, there's been a, a lot that has been written on that from from incredibly qualified people who who give a a great historical perspective on it. Uh, but you know what what really to me is is jumping out on on this is is a few things um, th- that are important, especially from a, a Christian worldview perspective. Uh, you know, first and foremost, um, I, I, well, once again, we're seeing why politics and policy uh, really matter and why government really matters and the type of government that we have. You know, for, for so many Christians, um, you know, we, we, we can all rally around, uh, you know, our, our, our biblical command to, to care for the orphan, the widow and the stranger and to, to care for the oppressed, to care for the poor. Uh, that 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 Christ has called us to care for, and we get that. And and you know, in our, in our minds, what what comes to 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 our imaginations when we think about what does that mean? Uh, you know, it, a lot of times it's very directly caring for that homeless individual that's right in front of us, for example, or that addicted person, or that that child in uh, in foster care, or or the the the, the shut in that we we need to care for that person in front of us, and we do need to do that. That's that's exactly right. Um, but it's more than that. Right, um, you know the, the the Christian faith, the Christian walk. I just finished reading um, William Wilberforce's book, Real Christianity, uh, and and I, you know I think one of the things that he does so well in that book is is paint the picture of how big uh, the Christian faith um, really is in our lives, and so much larger than than what we first know. And you know the deeper that you you get into the faith, the longer you're a Christian, the more these things get uh, impressed upon you. 
Um, but but what what you see in Cuba right now, and really in any communist regime, is you see the importance of supporting uh, a system of government that's not repressive. That when 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 you live under a communist system of government, and communism just fundamentally misunderstands the nature of man, misunderstands the nature of evil, misunderstands the nature uh, of power dynamics. It, it just gets it all wrong. Um, you know, probably intentionally so, because I think there's, there's spiritual forces at work there. Um, but when, when you get those things wrong and you live in a system of government that has that, it undermines the very principles of God of caring for, for the least of these. You know, the, the, one of the best things that we can do uh, as Christians uh, is support a form of government that values individuals. Uh, and you look at things like capitalism, which has its flaws by all means. Capitalism is there is no such thing as a perfect economic system. No matter what you find, uh, you're gonna have you're gonna find flaws because they're man-made and they're gonna and and we're broken and fallen people. But capitalism has done more uh, to rise individuals out of poverty, uh, rise and you know give individuals the opportunity to have the dignity of work. Uh, give give individuals the opportunity to have families and and stability and food on the table and shelter over their heads all things that God cares about capitalism and 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 the family as we'll talk more about today has done more for those things than anything else uh, in, in in human history um, and, and and so when when you when you have a system uh, like communism that fundamentally wants to destroy the family and fundamentally wants to uh, tear apart um you know the the ability of people to work uh and create uh create livelihoods for themselves um you're gonna get oppression and so for christians this is why you know this this old fallacy that so many of us have operated under for so long of you know there's social and moral issues and then there's fiscal issues and we just need to stay out of the fiscal issues this is where we're just so wrong on those things and and we're actually we're 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 wrong about that assumption to the detriment of people who need help. Uh, and, and actually, later on in the episode, uh, Pastor Forbes is going to talk about um, w- how he has seen what government has done to destroy family, to hurt people, to hurt children. Uh, and so, for for Christians, as we're looking at what's going on in Cuba, uh, we need to understand this is a lot more than just you know another political story that's showing up in the news today. Um, this, these are people who have been hurt and harmed by a repressive government uh, that are are being denied, um, you know, uh, the 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 blessings of living in a in a, a nation um, whose whose structure recognizes and honors the dignity of individuals made in the image of God. Um, so, so that that again, there's so much more to be said about Cuba, and 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 I will tell you, you know, we're 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 going to come to the end of our volume here on race in the coming uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, and we're thinking about what our next volume is going to be and, and would love to hear your feedback on, on what you think it should be. But uh, I will say, especially watching everything that's going on in Cuba right now, I'm thinking maybe we do the next volume on communism uh, and unpacking that from all the different uh, perspectives. Um, next story that, that, that is, is going on right now, this is one that's popped up in Ohio, but it's one that's you know, relevant uh, to every uh, state in the nation. Uh, and that's here in Ohio. Uh, another bill has been introduced to to legalize um, commercialized marijuana, uh, and 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 I, I I'm really big on saying this is commercialized marijuana. A lot of people call it recreational marijuana, but that uh, is is hiding the ball on what these bills are really uh, about. First and foremost, you know I, I think um, you know why do government bureaucrats love uh, commercialized marijuana? 
uh, because it's big money uh, for them to spend. Big taxation revenue, all of those types of things. Uh, the marijuana industry uh, is a massive, massive political donor uh, and advertiser, um, and and they throw money around. You know, they're 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 much like the the casinos, um, where where you know they 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 exploit money out of hurting people, um, but then build such a political and corporate force uh, that nobody's able to rise up to actually stop them. Um, and and you know, marijuana is one of these issues. Commercialized marijuana is one of these issues that I feel like. Um, more and more uh, Christians are are losing touch with the actual harm uh, of these policies, and and you know I, I can hear you know some some libertarian friends or lawmakers saying, oh, you got to get the government out of this, and you know they'll 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 cite some you know half cock stats on on uh, imprisonment, and I will tell you when you actually don't get me wrong, there are things we should be doing with criminal justice reform. Um, but most of the stats that you hear or most of the things that you hear uh, about, you know, people being in jail, I, I, I do, I, I've had the privilege throughout my career of working with a number of judges. I used to work in the Arizona Attorney General's office and our work here at CCV. I know a number of judges. I don't know any judges that are looking to send people to jail for years for having an ounce of weed on them. That's, that's just, it's, it's just not happening, guys. Um, you know, maybe that ounce of weed was connected to them on top of a violent act or on top of a, a, a another type of crime that was committed. So that's included in the charges uh, or included in the conversation. But no one is is spending their life in jail for or spending years in jail uh, or a significant time in any form in jail for 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 simple possession. It's just not happening. Um, so this idea that that we have this over incarceration rate because of weed is 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 silly nonsense. What is happening, though, um, and there was just a story on this of, of 93,000 uh, overdose deaths, an increase, I think, by, by 93,000 overdose deaths, something like that, in the country um, uh, in this last year through the COVID year. In Ohio, uh, we went from 4,000 overdose deaths to 5,000 overdose deaths. So I, there was just a story that showed that we were the fourth worst state in the nation uh, for, for drug overdoses. Um, we're seeing the rise of drugs uh, in in uh usage in our communities and especially among children um and i don't again like this is one of those things where people will say oh marijuana is not a, a a gateway drug and yeah maybe it wasn't for you uh, you know i when i was in high school i smoked weed uh, and was it a gateway drug to me uh to end up smoking crack or, or getting to heroin or something like that no it wasn't um but when you talk to heroin addicts when you go talk to people who have come out of uh, drug use, almost to a person, they will tell you it started with weed. It started with marijuana, uh, and and not alcohol. People a lot of times will, will make the comparison to, to 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 alcohol. No, not didn't start there. Most of the time, it starts with marijuana. And when we're in a situation right now where drug overdoses are on the rise, now we want to put more marijuana on the street. That I mean, that's when when you look at the states that have commercialized marijuana. This is what I always want to say to the politicians that are doing this. Just look at the places that have done this and recognize what your policy, what you're advocating for with this bill is more children using drugs. And the the detrimental effects of marijuana on a child's mind is monumentally worse than the effects of alcohol uh, and is is devastating. It could be life altering. Um, The. Uh, the 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 rise in uh, DUI uh, related accidents and deaths spike massively 
So when you're advocating for commercialized marijuana, you're advocating for something that means more people will die from DUIs, will mean more children uh, will uh, start using marijuana and have their futures. Again, already children are dealing with more than any children any children in the history of our nation have dealt with in terms of just the onslaughts from all directions. Um, like you're, you're advocating for uh, just generally more people becoming addicted and getting into to drugs and, and, and making this already raging problem in a state like Ohio, especially you're advocating for making it worse. Um, and, and I know, and honestly, guys, like I know that opposing commercialized marijuana isn't cool. Like I get it. And, 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 you know, one of the things that I, I feel like I recognized years ago, having worked in public policy for, for a number of years now, that how much of uh, politicians' votes and decisions on things are they just don't want to look uncool. Like, I, I wish it was, I wish I could say a lot, you know, these, the debates and conversations we had on things were, were more robust. A lot of times it's just, I don't want to be seen as a prude or I don't want to be seen as the one that's out of touch. And so they, they, they go along or they support uh, commercialized marijuana, for example. Um, but the reality is this is a dangerous public policy, a dangerous drug that can, that ruins people's lives. Uh, and, and it is a loving thing. Does it ruin everyone's life? No, it didn't ruin my life. I, I, I know a lot of folks that, that did smoke weed and it didn't, it hasn't ruined their life. I also know a lot of folks that are, are, are still smoking weed and it ha is ruining their lives. It is, it's demotivating them from, from working. It's demotivating them from, from getting into uh, you know, in, into the workforce and, 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 and participating in a healthy way in society. Like I, we're seeing that still. And so from when you ask what is a just policy, seeing more individuals smoking marijuana in our state, in our nation is not a good thing and will do a lot of harm. And it's why we can't have it. Um, the, uh, the, the, the third thing that I'll, I'll touch on just briefly, again, this is another story out of Ohio, but it's something that uh, is, is impactful for every state. Um, and that really came out of 2020. You know, there's been a lot written and, and said about election integrity. Uh, there's a lot of things going on. You know, I know that the audit of the Arizona ballots just finished. Um, and, and, you know, I'll say when I've when we've looked into election integrity issues here in Ohio, when we've seen um, when I've been looking at them in other states, some of them I've, I've seen that I've said, yep, that, you know, that's legit. We got to answer that. Some of that I'm like, I, I haven't seen the evidence there. But one of the things that is that we I mean, was public that happened that we absolutely have to stop. Um, and that we, thankfully, uh, in this last Ohio budget, uh, we passed a law to stop it, was the influx of outside dollars going to uh, election officials, government officials, um, particularly from Mark Zuckerberg, the Facebook founder and owner, CEO. Um, and, uh, and, and what he did in this last election was literally issue millions and millions of dollars in grants uh, to uh, election officials to do targeted voter turnout um, and voter education campaign. So really uh, what you had was government sanctioned um, products being paid for by private dollars to turn out specific communities to vote. That, that is literally the government trying to get certain people to go vote that are gonna vote a certain way. That is the opposite of fair and free elections. You know, the, 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 there, there is no reason that any government official should be taking this, these dollars, these resources. And, and it's one of these things where like, you know, even for conservatives, we recognize uh, that there are certain functions of government that we should spend money on. So, so conservatives that are, are generally bent against spending money, um, we still would say, hey, look, there's some things that we should, roads, bridges, uh, you know, uh, law enforcement, things like that. 
and free and fair elections. So if an election official needs more money, if they are depending upon Zuckerbucks, as we call them, Zuckerberg bucks, um, to, to do their election, well, then let's get them more money so they can do it. But let's not have them take private dollars um, to do targeted turnout. And, you know, even if, let's say even they weren't doing targeted, they were just taking private turnout, private dollars to do, uh, uh, to run their elections normally. Um, even just the appearance of that, you know, th- there's so much of our system uh, today that is built on trust. And when you start to undermine that trust by allowing for private dollars to come in, especially private dollars from political ideologues like Mark Zuckerberg, you undermine the people's trust in the electoral process. And that's terrible. Now, since then, you're, you're hearing some people say, oh, you know, because our, our law said that election officials, not only can they not take money uh, to, to execute an election, they can't collaborate people with people and organizations in the execution of elections. And, and I just want to say this here, you know, in the past, my organization, CCV and, and conservative organizations have, quote unquote, collaborated with election officials where we have we have been. Uh, we've gotten some of their resources to do uh, voter registration in churches and all these types of things. And they would do that with anybody that came to them. They'd, they'd do that with. But in this present climate, we are more than happy to give that up and say, hey, look, we're just going to do our voter registration and our election education campaigns on our own. We don't need to partner with the Secretary of State's office. We don't need to partner with county election officials because maintaining the uh, integrity and the trust, and, and I, I can't say enough, guys, with with how much misinformation there is, both in the mainstream media and on social media today, the, the, the lack of trust in the institutions in America, and especially in elections, is a serious threat to, to the future of our nation. And unless we have election officials, like and, and elected officials, I should say, like those in Ohio here who've passed laws, say, look, we need to make sure every American can feel confident that we're running free and fair elections it spells spells doom for the future of our country. And so, um, you know, these laws that you're seeing, again, the media is attacking them and, and everyone's saying that they're, you know, they're, they're going to hurt voter turnout. No, they're not. They're, they're just not. They're, no one has the right to give election officials, give the government millions of dollars to do targeted turnout with, you know, in, in communities. That's that's not a that, that's not something that, that, you know, is a constitutional right. And we've seen, you know, it also it, it really does undermine uh, the trust and you know, I, I think in many forms would be illegal even without this law um, to, to do this type of thing. So um, we, we see this as something that's that's really important. Well, that'll do it for our, our current events, our, our conversation on the news of, the, of this week. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here on the narrative, but we'll be right back uh, with Pastor David Forbes to talk about race and the family. Center for Christian Virtue seeks the good of our neighbors by advocating for public policy that reflects the truth of the gospel. We empower people like you to have a voice in the culture on the most important political and cultural issues of the day. Through our public policy advocacy, grassroots activism, Church Ambassador Network, Ohio Christian Education Network, and Christian Business Partnership, there are countless ways for you to get involved. Join the movement today by visiting ccv.org or by clicking the link in the show notes. That's ccv.org and click Join the Network. Stories are a way we relate to one another. It's hard to underestimate their importance. Wessler Media is here to help you preserve those stories that you hold dear. We'll produce a personal podcast, an audio scrapbook, that will preserve those memories for generations to come. Get in touch today. Call toll-free or text 1-833-38-STORY, 1-833-38-STORY, or visit wesslermedia.com. That's W-E-S-S-L-E-R-Media.com. We're grateful 
to have my good friend, Dr. David Forbes, actually one of my board members, uh, to talk about the relationship between race and the family. My name is Aaron Bear. I'm president of Center for Christian Virtue, flying solo today. Uh, my my good friend, uh, David Mahan, uh, he's actually prepping to, to preach uh, on Sunday over at Crossroads Church. Uh, and, you know, David's getting old. He's getting old. And so he, we, we can't we can't stress him. Uh, too much, you know. The the uh, we've been asking. Crossroads has a pretty great media department. So when we were talking to the church, I was asking if they could, you know, maybe CGI some of the gray out of his hair for him a little bit. But uh, <laughs> but but I'm here to. We're, we're happy to have my uh, my good friend uh, and our board member at Center for Christian Virtue, uh, Dr. David Forbes, here with with us. Dr. Forbes is the founder of Ever Increasing Ministries, Ever Increasing Life Ministries, uh, a family of ministries dedicated to pro- promoting life without limits. He is uh, the senior pastor, the lead pastor of Columbus Christian Center in Columbus, Ohio, and the overseer of Spirit of Life Church International in Roanoke, Virginia. Uh, he se- also serves as Master Vision uh, Bearer in the Leroy Thompson Ministry Association, headquartered in Darrow, Louisiana. And he's dedicated himself to growing a dynamic family of believers who are committed to increasing lives with the Word of God and by teaching individuals to love God, love others, and impact the world. His passion is to influence the spirit, soul, and body of people so their faith and family and finances are fit for kingdom living. Uh, Pastor Forbes, thank you so much for joining us, brother. Thank you so much, Aaron. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and and uh, and I guess if we're going to start talking about the family here today, I, I think that the best place would be to, to ask you to tell us about your family uh, and 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 even a little bit of your history uh, that, that's brought you to this place. A- absolutely. Uh, I'm definitely a family man. Uh, Aaron, when I think of the the plan of God, God started with the family, actually with marriage and then family before there was Israel, before there was a church, before there was a body of Christ and a kingdom of God. I mean, he started with a, a marriage and family. So that's very uh, foundational to my belief system. I, I was born in Brooklyn, New York, grew up uh, in a traditional uh, nuclear family, uh, uh, my dad, my mom, and then uh, my sisters, um, I've got two sisters. I am uh, a fourth generation minister of the gospel, preacher of the gospel. And so it's definitely in my bones and and in my my veins. Uh, After college and seminary, uh, I married Tracy, my wife of 31 years. And we have five children, four girls, four beautiful young ladies, uh, young women. And uh, number five, is my son David. So finally at the free throw line on the last one, I was able to get get that follow through and I got a boy out. So uh, I've got four daughters and one son, uh, five of us, uh, all everyone's in ministry and and get one degree or another. And um, I'm very excited to be a father, to be a husband first, then a father uh, and uh, and a man of God. Amen, amen. You know, I I think, we, as we've been doing this, this series, this volume on, on race, uh, you know, we've covered a lot of different aspects of, of this discussion. Um, and one, you know, honestly, the, the, the theme that in all the conversations we had, whether it was on education, whether it was on race and the gospel, whether it was on uh, law enforcement, um, inevitably all of the conversations sooner or later touched back on the family um, and, and how, and the importance of family and, and, and really how, so much of the the narrative around uh, racial tensions in America today, racial divisions in America today, um, 
actually have have more of their roots or, 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 or more of the problems that are attributed to those racial tensions have more to do with the family. Um, and, you know, I, I'd be interested to hear, Dr. Forbes, from, from your perspective, um, you know, what, what, what is the, 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 the when, when you're thinking about the racial tensions in, in America today, um, what is the role of the family in, in that tension that's created today or in the problems that a lot of people attribute to, to sort of racial division in the country? Aaron, uh, th that's an excellent question. The family to me is the, the, the foundational building block of a person's worldview, good, bad, indifferent, absent, present. Family is how a person develops their, an individual develops their worldview. Four aspects help a person develop their worldview and they all come from family. Number one, experiences. The things we experience feed into our worldview. Uh, the things to which we are exposed have something to do with our worldview. Voices of authority have something to do with our worldview and repetitious information. Uh, things we hear over and over and over and over again, whether they're true or false, we begin to believe those things are true. And, and so family, uh, because the first 12 years of a person's life, they are under total authority of the people raising them. Uh, so uh, when you turn 13 and 14, parents kind of have to feather that authority with influence. You know, it's kind of like a, a accelerator in a clutch kind of feathering it out. But those first 12 years, uh, you, you basically are told what to do. And uh, we learn and develop our, our mindset, our thinking, our ability to, uh, uh, to form, form thoughts and to form consensus, to form our, 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 our thinking. Uh, and that comes from family. One quick example, if I can throw this in. My father, Dr. David Forbes Sr., who is a founding member of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, uh, worked very closely with Dr. King. He's a, a civil rights icon. Um, he was the first one arrested in Raleigh, North Carolina in the sit-ins. Uh, they went to a Woolworth uh, with uh, several students and uh, sat there for three hours. Finally, the, 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 the server says, well, Dr. Forbes, uh, uh, not Dr. Forbes, but David, you know, what do you all want? And we, we like to order coffee and donuts. Well, we don't serve black people. I know you don't. You serve coffee and donuts. That's what we ordered. <laughs> and, uh, um, and so that was the beginning of his work with Dr. King and uh, SNCC. When I was in my 30s, I asked my father, but he taught me a lot about civil rights. I learned a lot about it. But I said, Dad, you did not drill that into me, the, the bitterness. Uh, the, 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 the anguish of your, all of your experiences. And here's what my father said, this is the value of, of family. He says, son, America is a great country. It's the greatest there ever has been. And I needed you to discover America through your experience. If I had given you only my experience, you would have relived the, the pain and anguish that I felt. And I suffered that to make America better. I needed you to experience that better America. So there's an example of how a father can really, through experience, exposure, voices of authority, and repetitious information, help guide a person who's being formed at that time. Yeah, no, amen. Well, it's, it's I mean, that, 
you know, there, there's part, there's so much in, in, we, we talk about this a lot around CCB. There, there's so much in God's law that um, w- when you look at it, it just makes sense, right? It, it's not just, it, it's not arbitrary, right? Uh, the institution of the family is not an arbitrary thing. It, it, it's a logical, uh, a, a logical environment for children to thrive in. You know, you, you have a, a mother and a father who are committed to each other. So you have two adults uh, who are committed to each other in love and, and, and love for, for God first and foremost. And, and, and that bond brings them together. And they bring that, that, that perfect balance, you know, an ideal balance uh, to a, an individual child's life. And, and what you just said with these four elements, it's so funny. I, I don't even know if, if you knew this or, or how you came to the, these four points, but I remember a couple of years ago, we had George Barna uh, speaking at a, a, an event for CCV uh, and George Barna, Barna the, 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 you know, sort of renowned worldview pollster. Um, and and it was, we were talking about education. Uh, and his research has shown that, you know, the 90% of a person's worldview, 90 plus percent of a person's worldview is formed by the time they turn 13. That, that most of what a person ends up believing and, and who they are and how they re- respond are, is formed by the time they turn 13. And in large part, because of what you just went through, these, these, these four points. Yes. Um, now, you, you said something though here about your father in particular. Um, and, and when we talk about that, you know, this is something David and I have, have, have explored a lot in, in this volume on race. But, uh, you know, when we talk about uh, the importance of fathers, the, the, the stat today is something upwards of 70 plus percent of African-American children in our country are born uh, into fatherless households, into fatherless environments. W- what's the, why do we care so much about that? Uh, you know, for some people that might feel like an obvious question, but w- what is the actual impact of, you have 70% of a, of a group of people who have, don't have the blessing of having a father in the house? Aaron, uh, I, I see it this way. God's design, God started with a man, then he started with, the, he added a woman, then he put them together and they created a family. So it's his design. It's, it's patriarchal. It's a patriarchal system. And whatever God the Father has set out as a model, the world led by its father, Satan just wants to undo it. So a lot of the, the, the success of fathering is just because it's God's way. Now, if you, if you don't look at the nuts and bolts, um, what do we get from our fathers? What do we get from our parents and our family? We get boundaries, we learn guardrails, we learn uh, values, we learn ethics, uh, we, we, we learn lessons, uh, and those things form the bedrock and really give us confidence uh, in going forward into a, a, a vast world. We have confidence that we can succeed, that we can uh, achieve because we're living a system that has been proven. Um, so, uh, you know, when, when my father hands me the baton and I grab the baton, I know that he's already run around that track. And so I'm, I'm now picking up something that he has already done and that gives me confidence. When, when a child does not know that, a young man does not know that, does not have that, it's very difficult for him to know who he is or who she is, know what they believe, what works and what doesn't work. Um, fathering is, is fundamental. It, it, is, it, it is central 
to uh, a person's life. And that's why even say, for instance, Black Lives Matter, they, they may have taken it off of their website, but mm. I saw it, uh, yeah. you know, just the attack against the patriarchal system. I, how can you come against that? God is a patriarch. Yeah. God is a father. Um, so uh, I, I think it's important to get back to that um, and to teach people how to be good fathers. Uh, we, we, we don't need, well, we may need police reform. We need parent reform. Yeah, we, amen. We need papa reform. We need papas and daddies to, to be trained how to pour into those that they have uh, created. Amen. No, you, you know, it's, it's interesting you bring up uh, BLM in that, in that context, um, because I, I think this is what, this is one of the things that um, I, I really feel like undermines so much of, of the modern left's arguments, not just around race, but, but around all, all issues of suffering in our country today. And there's two, there, there's two examples of this that, that make me, me, me think of this is one, one, you mentioned Black Lives Matter had up on their, their website, uh, you know, one of their stated goals was the destruction of the nuclear family. Um, that that th this was so important for for them, which which again, you know, it, it, it just showed that the, and I, I I really do mean this in, in like in the biblical sense, in the in the saddest sense of the blindness of this movement, which on the one hand they are they're 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 crying out and 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 saddened over the plight of the black community, and they wanna they want to address it and fix it, but the very the very tool, the very best avenue of improving it, they're celebrating, and and it makes it makes the movement wholly incapable. It makes BLM and their, the the movement they they claim they're reading wholly incapable of being able to resolve it. I, it reminds me of a a, a a similar situation where, you know, CCV is undergoing is undertaking this major uh, education reform initiative that includes starting schools inside churches because so many. Um, public schools are failing today. We were, we were meeting with some churches just the other day in the hilltop of Columbus, um, you know, one of the poorest neighborhoods in the state, uh, highest prostitution rate, highest murder rate, all these types of things. And uh, a pastor was sharing with us how a few, you know, last week he was having a, a Bible study with some middle schoolers and high schoolers, uh, and these kids couldn't read, which meant they couldn't read the word of God. Um, but we were meeting uh, to, to talk about, you know, the school planting initiative and across the street was the local public school, the local elementary school. And while we were in there, uh, we walk out and they're painting a rainbow flag on the sidewalk of the school to celebrate Pride Month. This was this was a few weeks ago previously. previously. And I just remember I felt this great burden of this school was failing so many kids. And why was it failing so many kids? Well, because the kids were coming from households with that had just been destroyed by the sexual revolution, the destruction of family. And they're celebrating the very thing that destroyed their kids' lives that make them incapable and make it almost impossible to get a quality education. And so the, 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 you know, there, there's a biblical side of this of, of you know, the, 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 the unbelievers, you know, the, the, the world calling good evil and evil good and, and harming the very thing they're trying to improve. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And, and this is what happens when you eliminate God the Father from your worldview. You come up with your own worldview. Right. And so rather than men being important and, and uh, valuable, they're invaluable. Rather than marriage being important, 
it's it's devalued what rather than male female relationships being valued uh we've added to that we, we right. it, it, it's it, it's not enough so that's the battle that you and i have in the kingdom is that that narrative is out there in air quotes and then now we, we we've got to have it's not actually a countering narrative it's actually the original narrative Amen. and um but the 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 battle that's taking place is is such a spiritual battle. It's interesting. It's a spiritual battle. There's a spiritual battle going on. There is a geopolitical battle going on because you got Marxism and communism that has been trying for a hundred years to take down capitalism. And really, it's not just capitalism. It really is faith. It really is yep. God. That really is what makes our system work. Is is our reliance on God. And then you've got individual and uh, individual challenges. So uh, we, we've got to feed people. How do you fight spiritually? How do you fight geopolitically? How do you fight politically? And how do you really sustain your own faith in the, in the midst of this? Aaron, Jesus in, in Matthew 24, he said, the end times, here are four things I want you to look for that you're going to know it's the end. It's, it's approaching. Number one, international dis, uh, disturbance. Kingdoms rising against kingdom, natural disasters, pestilences. We see that spiritual deception. We see that, and finally, uh, the fourth one is personal testing. And when he says, when you see those four increasing in their intensity and frequency, you'll know time is ticking out. Jesus said that two thousand years ago, and we can see last year. The, just the last 18 months, has personal testing been at its highest? Yes. Has spiritual deception been at its highest? Yes. Have natural disasters been at their highest? Yes. Has uh, international disturbance been at its highest peak? Yes. So now is the time to preach the gospel, and the gospel goes right back to the things you talked about. Yeah. Fatherhood, motherhood, marriage, family, that's that's the rubric that God built society on. We have to go back and rebuild that way. Satan Amen. is going to try to tear it down. We have to aim to build it back. I, I want to dive in a little bit to those ways that Satan has been trying to de destroy the family. You know what I mean? And and again, I think we, we kind of launched this on uh, with the presumption, the, the 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 accurate presumption, but that that so much of the the um, uh, the, the plight, if we will, uh, that, that, that many people are attributing in, in the black community to, uh, race has a lot more to do with uh, family breakdown there. Again, I think we referenced this a couple of episodes ago of, of the Brad Wilcox study, uh, that he did with Ian Rowe, who was one of our guests we had here that, that showed, you know, uh, you know, that the number one contributor to, if we're looking at academic outcomes is family structure, you know, a, 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 uh, African-American male from a two-parent household uh, does better academically than a, a white, a similarly situated white male that's from a one-parent household. You know, the, 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 yes. the, 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 the family structure is the, the predominant force. And actually, you could probably throw in there next religious attendance uh, as, the, as a, another uh, force too. So get to church on Sunday. Everyone, um, but but I want to I want to if we're starting from that presumption, I want to kind of work backwards then and ask. So, what are those things that we see in a, a systematic way to use a word that they use 
a, a systematic way tearing apart families today um, and, and disincentivizing family formation, disincentivizing uh, or, or, or causing children to be born uh, to, to unmarried uh, mothers. What, what are the things that you see today that are, are the biggest things that, and that especially pastors and Christians and, and folks should be on the lookout to say, okay, if we want to deal with this family crisis and we want, and we want to help these people that are hurting, we got to look here. Oh, boy, that's so widespread, but I'm, I'm going to go, <laughs> I, I'm going to go uh, with the, with the strong answer. I'm going strong and then I'll back it up. Um, government. Mm. Government is what destroyed the Brown family. Mm. Um, when you go back to, to uh, post-slavery, uh, uh, reconstruction, you come into uh, all the way up to the 60s. In the midst of Jim Crow, which was a systematic uh, approach, uh, that was systematic racism. If you if you want to talk about what systematic racism is, Jim Crow, which was driven pr- pr- primarily by uh, the Democrat Party, even in the face of Jim Crow, brown families were learning to thrive and prosper. In fact, uh, uh, in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, you had lawyers. Doc- this is within 100 years of the abolishment of slavery. You had doctors, lawyers, businesses. You had millionaires. Not everyone. And so some people were still languishing. But in the 50s, brown families had the highest marital rate. In other words, children with families, with mother and father in one household was led by brown families. That was the highest percentage. And that lasted until uh, President Johnson and the war on poverty and the government trying to become God really instituted policies which rewarded women for not being with the fathers of their children it incentivized fathers being out of the home. And that is why we are where we are today. It did, people wanna say it's the result of slavery, which backs up the narrative that America is evil and all of <laughs> black suffering is because America is evil. No, after slavery was abolished, which if you're a racist nation, why would you abolish slavery? Right. right. It, it makes sense. But our families began to struggle in the 60s and on. And uh, I I believe it's because the government took the place of God and took the place of fathers. How do we fix that? I'd say just very quickly, I believe there has to be um, uh, uh, a cultural element to it because uh, Satan has embedded all of his narratives in culture. And so Hollywood, news, education, entertainment. Um, it's just simply preaching the truth and saying there's another way other than the way that's being presented to you. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough assignment, but I believe the church can do it. Amen. Well, and, and what, what I appreciate about that, and, and, and this is, it's so funny, I think even in conservative circles, even in, in Christian circles, I feel like over the last several years, last several decades, we've kind of... Uh, fallen prey to the 
um, the idolatry of government, of, of seeing government as fixing issues. I, you know, honestly, it, I, I keep coming back to this of why we changed our name from Citizens for Community Values to Center for Christian Virtue. Because, you know, we, we look at issues like family breakdown, like poverty, like abortion, for example. And, you know, and this is going to sound funny from a guy who's, you know, calling in life ministry and life is to lead a Christian public policy organization. Um, but the all too often, our, our first impulse is we look to say, OK, so what, what bill could we pass to fix this? Right. And there is a legislative aspect to a lot of these things. Like th this matters, you know, public policy matters. Um, you know, having laws that make it legal to kill children need to be fixed and changed and stopped. You know, that, 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 that's not to say that, but, but that's not the most important thing. Um, because as easily or as difficult as it is to change a law, it can be undone. Um, but the thing that doesn't burn away is the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Right. And, and, and keeping that thing first and foremost and recognizing that you know the, the fix that we need here uh, is people knowing jesus and that's what you know I, i'm i'm preparing to preach in a few weeks on on nehemiah um and and you just see how easy it was through the book of nehemiah and especially ezra and nehemiah you know people have witnessed amazing things and then they immediately fall back into their wicked ways they start disobeying god's word and all these types of things and, and need, need his grace in that but but how easily things can be undone and why we need to have that that saving knowledge and you, once you start there and being willing to say hey look and this is a part of our name change at ccv is to say hey the, the most important people thing people can do is know jesus and then all and then we need once we know jesus that's going to give us the strength the courage the ability right. to do, take on these monumental things like how do we fix the family? How do we restore right. the, the, the place of family? But, but it needs to start with Jesus. Amen? Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, I want to I go sort of one step um, further here in, in, in the, this conversation of, of what's we, – we talked a lot about, about government. What are th practical things that you see families – as they are trying to look at how do we how do we fortify our family today? How do we fortify our kids today? What are things that you did uh, as a dad, or that your 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 parents did with you uh, to to put us in a position to say, look, I don't know how we're going to wage this macro war, but at home, I'm going to make sure I'm doing things right, right. As, as best I can to make sure my family's strong and my kids are in a good position. Uh, Aaron, I'm going to go one, two, three on that one. Uh, number one, I believe it's very important to double down. I mean, I, I believe as a father, I've got a 29-year-old, 27-year-old, uh, 25-year-old, 23-year-old, and a 20-year-old. Um, <laughs> I believe I did a good job, but if I could go back, I would double down. And so that's what I tell parents today. Whatever you're doing that's right. Let's don't talk about where you blew it. Just what you're doing that's right double down on that right away. If you're reading with your child 10 minutes a day, re read 20. If, if, if you share a scripture a day, share two. Uh, if, um, if, if you have a day or family time, have two days. Um, whatever you're doing that's right, double down. Because if it's right, uh, the enemy has not lessened up. He's doubled down. We've really got to double and triple down to mm. catch up uh, and to do the things we need to do. Number two, in the spirit of Christ, humble, 
I've humbled myself before my own children. So I'll sit down with my children and say, hey, I blew it here. I, I missed this. I, I, I could have done this better, whether it's something that happened today or something from 10 years ago. And I'll beg their pardon. I'm like, look, I, I need you to forgive me for missing that. And the spirit of God is going to help me to be a better father, to be a better, uh, to be a better, uh, to be a better, uh, a better, a better dad. And then the third thing is to be active, to really be active uh, in addressing the the things that are 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 attacking our kids uh, in the culture, whether it's in music whether it is in TV, commercials, engage in those things, jump in and engage those things. Uh, and I, I believe that's the best way uh, to, to give our kids what they need um, to go for. I call mine kids, they're all in their twenties, but they're still kids and um, the culture is after them. I think that's, that's the best answer I can give you. No, amen. No, yeah, it's, it's one of the things, again, we talk a lot about in the education space, which is that, you know, um, discipleship and formation are happening all the time. Um, you know, not, not just in Sunday school, not just, you know, uh, when we're sitting down and reading, reading our Bibles um, and, and being intentional about it, we're, we are constantly being formed, constantly being trained up in something. Um, and, and the question is what, um, and, you know, and again, I, again, we, we oftentimes focus on this in, in the lens of the classroom where you're spending 30 hours a week in, in, in education for, for most kids and what are they being discipled in there? Um, but to your point, um, that, that, that process, um, especially again, my, my, my wife and I always like get terrified at, at what our, what our five-year-old takes it, like the things she notices that they were like, Oh my goodness, I didn't realize you were paying attention. Um, and, uh, but as you said, that, that goes on well into, you know, all throughout life, um, and, and being intentional uh, about that. Um, well, Pastor Forbes, uh, sir, thank you so much for, for your ministry. Thank you for uh, your friendship to me personally and your, 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 your leadership with, with CCV. Um, and, uh, and grateful for you taking the time with us today. Thank you so much, Aaron. It's been my pleasure. And thanks for listening to this episode of The Narrative uh, and our conversation on race and the family. Uh, this podcast is brought to you by Center for Christian Virtue, and it's produced by Western Media. Uh, we got two more episodes to go uh, in this volume. We're, we're really looking forward to it. Our next one, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, anti-Semitism uh, and, and the, the impact uh, that has uh, and, and the, how it's still raging uh, today. So hopefully uh, you'll be here for that one. Uh, if, you, uh, if you've enjoyed this podcast, I want to ask you to, to, to give a rating. If you're on Apple Podcasts or Google Play, uh, give us a rating, uh, subscribe, uh, even write a review if you can. Uh, and, and let us know what we can do to, to make it better or tell us what you like. Uh, and, and I will tell you too, um, if you uh, have thoughts on what our next volume, we're going to uh, take a little break uh, in the month of August, but then come back with our, our, our second volume. And we're thinking about what we want that to be on. So if you have thoughts on, on what are narratives you're seeing out there that you'd like us to help you unpack, uh, drop us an email, shoot us an email at info at ccv.org or, or shoot us a message on Facebook or Twitter. Our, our handle there is CCV Policy. Uh, and so we, we hope to hear from you, but thanks for, for joining us and we'll catch you next time on The Narrative.